Well, really great to see you this morning, and I've missed you. I know that you've missed me terribly as well. I can see the wiping the tears from your eyes. We were in Newfoundland. Uh, we spent about eight days traveling. Anyone been to Newfoundland? Anyone from Newfoundland? Where are you? Come unglued. Yeah, one. Hey, one down in front here. Uh, wow, were we ever blown away by Newfoundland. Like, if you've not been, you've got to go. And uh, I am... Uh, you know, a proud New Brunswicker, and I, I could be the minister of tourism uh, for New Brunswick. Get it? I'm a minister. Get it? Um, <laughs> wakey, wakey. And, uh, you know, but I, 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 like, I come back and said to David Way, I need to shut up. Like, like Newfoundland is, is unbelievable. Like, it really is over the top, uh, incredibly gorgeous. So anyhow, there, go to Newfoundland. You will love it. Uh, it's good to be home, good to be looking forward to the fall. This is, uh, you know, one of our last summer Sundays. We've got a lot of people away, a lot of people traveling. And so I always look, I don't look forward to the fall because of, of things like frost and all that. But I do look forward to getting everyone back from the summer, getting all of our programs and ministries uh, ramping back up again. So we're looking forward to that. September 11th, we'll kick off our fall series, which is called Connected this year, and, and there truly are a ton of exciting things that we will be uh, rolling out to the congregation this fall, a lot of different ways uh, for people to get connected here at Moncton Weston. Some things, really, frankly, that we, we haven't had up and running for, for a couple of years or a few years. We're excited about some of the things that are going to be happening for, for all of us. Uh, this fall to help you get your, your spiritual growth accelerated, uh, to give us meaningful opportunities for serving and uh, for getting into community and small groups and things like that, uh, getting to know each other better. There's going to be membership class uh, this fall, a new monthly night of prayer and worship that uh, I'm really excited about. That's going to be coming this fall, and just a huge menu of opportunities and, and uh, ways to get connected here at Moncton Wesleyan. So that's, uh, that's, I'm just teasing you right now. There'll be lots more information to come on that. So I'm just uh, letting you know that we're excited. Uh, the staff are pumped. They've been working hard, and uh, we've got a lot of good things coming. Does that sound okay? All right. The rowdy bunch down front. All my rowdies. All right, Israel, real quick, we are going to Israel. I'm not making this up, okay? We're going again. We went a couple of years ago. If you missed that trip, here's your next opportunity. This information uh, handout is at the information center in the, in the atrium. You can go and pick one of these up after church. It's uh, March 27th to April the 6th. We will see... Uh, you'll be on the Mediterranean, you'll be on Galilee, you'll sail across Galilee. We can baptize you in the Jordan if you want. Uh, we will float on the Dead Sea. You'll uh, spend time in Nazareth, Bethlehem, Capernaum. Uh, we'll spend a few days in Jerusalem. You'll hit all the big sites, and you'll never read your Bible the same after you've been to Israel. Uh, you really won't. It'll be like a pop-up Bible after you've been to Israel. And you'll be saying, I was there, I was there, I've been there, I've been there. Uh, Mount of Olives, Gethsemane, uh, you'll literally walk where Jesus walked, um, and it's, uh, this will be my fourth trip to Israel. There's no cheap way to get from Moncton to Tel Aviv, okay? There's, there's, no, there's no inexpensive way, so we get sticker shock when people ask, 
well, what does it cost? There's no cheap way to tour around Israel for 10 days on a tour bus. Uh, so it's 3,800 bucks, and that covers almost everything. That's the big part of it, 3,800 bucks Canadian, which is about 10,000 and other um, currencies. But anyhow, that's, that's what it is, okay? That's Israel. So if you're interested in that, pick up one of those. Oh, and, and it tells you on there that we need the drop-dead date for this trip is September the 9th. So you don't have a lot of time to decide if you're going to go to Israel because we have to literally pre-purchase uh, a seat on an airplane that's not refundable, okay? All right, all right, that's it. That's all that stuff. We're moving on. Uh, we're in a summer series here at Moncton Wesleyan called Bonfire, and it's been so dry this summer that this is probably the only bonfire that you've been able to have here at church. And around the bonfire, you tell the big stories over and over, the ones that people tend not to forget. And uh, so we've been going through the Bible and looking at some of Scripture's greatest hits this summer. And this morning we're going to look at what many people consider to be the, the greatest of all the parables that Jesus shared. Like there are, I don't know how many parables, but there's several, several parables in the New Testament of Jesus, these short stories that, that tell a truth. And a lot of people consider this one to be the greatest parable that ever that Jesus shared. And you might know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And as we'll see this morning, it, it could really be better titled. It could be, it could be better titled as the parable of the two lost sons, or it could be called the parable of the gracious father. Now, if I could, uh, I brought a little book here with me. If I could make books mandatory for followers of Jesus, if I could make certain books just like mandatory reading for, for my church, Moncton Westland, uh, this book right here is one that I would put on the list and say, you, you've got to read this. So the title of the book is The Prodigal God. The author is Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in downtown New York City. He is a brilliant, gifted thinker and writer. And this book takes the story of the prodigal and just, just, just peels back and, and just it sort of like unlocks these truths of, of the gospel, helps you to understand the message of Jesus, understand the gospel. Uh, so I didn't see anybody writing that down at all. You did. Order it on your phone right now. Order it right now. It'll be at your door in a couple of days. The Prodigal God by Tim Keller uh, is phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. So we're going to read the first couple of verses of Luke 15 just to set it up and get the context. And then, we'll, uh, and then we will obviously dig a little deeper. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. And so Jesus, from this point, goes on to tell them three short stories that illustrate the depth of God's love, the value of one's soul, and the cause for celebration when the lost is found. There are two groups in the audience that we, we just read about. There are two groups there in Jesus' audience. Luke says that there are tax collectors and other notorious sinners who are following Jesus to listen to his teaching. They were, 
They were open to Jesus' teaching. They wanted to hear more of Jesus' teaching. And then the other group were the Pharisees. These were the the teachers of the religious law. They were the elders of the church. They were the most pious, the most religious people of the day. And they were also following, but but like the, the, the tax collectors and notorious sinners were getting right up, you know, underneath Jesus to, to you know, teach us. We were listening. We want to hear. And the Pharisees were at a, at a distance, just kind of following uh, in the background. And they were following for very, very, they were interested in Jesus for very different reasons than the sinners and the, the tax collectors. And Jesus tells them, firstly, about a lost sheep. And he tells them how if a shepherd loses one of his sheep, he will leave the flock and he will go to rescue that one that is lost. And when he finds it, the sheep raises their hand, declaring that they have decided to follow Jesus at Moncton Wesleyan and the whole congregation cheers, right? Yeah, okay. This is, when, this is what we, on Sunday mornings, when a lost sheep is found, the sheep raises it. Do sheep have paws? Legs, hands, what, what do they have? Hoofs? Do we say hoofs or hooves? We're going to split the church right now. <laughs> hooves. And, and the whole congregation cheers because the lost has been found. They celebrate that a, that a lost sheep has been found. Then he tells them of a woman who loses a valuable coin, and she searches everywhere. She goes out and searches everywhere. She doesn't, she doesn't think, oh, well, someday it, the coin will find me. The coin will turn up. The coin will unlost itself. No, she goes out uh, to find the coin, and she searches with great determination until she finds it. And when the coin is found, it is baptized in a public service at Moncton Wesleyan Church, preferably with a tank right down front in the splash zone, and the whole church cheers because the lost matter to God. And, this is, and so Jesus is telling them these, these parables that I might have adopted, adapted just a little bit. Okay, then on to verse 11 where we pick up the parable of the lost son. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to Vegas. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home and to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. 
But his father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Gross. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Remember that there are two groups of people listening to Jesus teach this parable. The first group are the notorious sinners. If we ever have a church hockey team, we should call them the notorious sinners. Wouldn't that be a great name for a hockey team? The notorious sinners on the Oh, it's just perfect. It'd be great. The notorious sinners, yeah, Thursday night bike group, someone's saying. Mary Lynn. And I'll name her. The notorious sinners represent the younger brother. They've left home. They've chosen wild living, carefree, anything goes. And the Pharisees are the older brothers of the story. They are the rule keepers. They're moral, studied, obeying scripture, worshiping faithfully, praying constantly, and they are still very lost. You get that? Both groups, the notorious sinners, the younger brothers, and the Pharisees, the older brothers, are both very lost. One guy's lost and he knows it. And the other guy is just as lost, but he thinks that he's doing everything right. Because you can look good on the outside. You can come into Moncton Wesleyan on a sunny morning and look really good. And, and everyone thinks you're doing really, really good. They would think, oh, you're... You know, you, you've got it all together, and, and uh, you must be a, an elder in the church, and you, surely your spiritual walk with Jesus is on fire. You can look good on the outside and have everyone convinced that you're doing great and still be very lost. People might look at your life and assume that you're close to the Father, like the older brother, but inside, you're a wreck. And you are not close to the Father at all. The real audience of the story are the older brothers, the Pharisees. 
And they are on the, the periphery, remember. They're, they're, they're from a distance watching this. They're following Jesus with their arms folded in disgust because the younger brothers, the party animals, are getting an audience with the rabbi that, 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 that the, the older brothers, the Pharisees, don't feel that they deserve. They don't pay their tithes. They don't serve in the temple. They're not clean. They're not following the laws. They don't look like us. Surely, for for him to be getting a crowd with, with them, he must be watering down his message and telling them whatever they want to hear just to get a crowd. The Pharisees think they are found but they are very lost. You see, the story is less about wayward outsiders and more about the moral insiders. And Jesus is pleading with them to change their heart. Pleading with the Pharisees, the older brothers of the story, to see their sin, to see how they are breaking the heart of the Father. Let's look at verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. When the younger son goes to his father demanding his share, It is the exact same as saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I wish that you were dead. I want your things, but I don't want you. I'm not interested in relationship. I want what you can do for me. It's the person who sees God as a genie in a bottle or a glass that you break when you you have an emergency, break in case of emergency. He's just, God's just there for what he can do for you. It's the person who misses the beauty of relationship with Jesus because all they want is a quick fix God who can give them what they want or a God who can get them out of that particular situation. That's why at Moncton Wesleyan, we say this over and over, we want to be super clear about this. Following Jesus is not just a decision that you make. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's not punching a ticket to heaven. Following Jesus is a lifestyle that you choose. Jesus isn't a card you put in your pocket. If you truly love him, then you will Give your whole life to him. You will serve him with everything. He will be Lord of all in your life, in every area of your life. You will forsake everything else. You will give your life to him daily. A typical Mideast father would have driven the insolent off his property with a a rod, Would would have driven him off the property with rage and violence. You want me dead? You will be dead to me. You will forever be dead to me and to this family and to this community and would have driven him off the property. Instead, the father in the story responds with radical grace. And and literally, to, to 
to complete the request of the child literally would have had to go and sell his property, cashing out for this, for this son. Cashing out so that the son can cash in. And, and going to his peers and seeing those who are buying his property and, and, and being in humiliation, having to tell them why he was selling having to tell them, my son is leaving. He wants his share. Tim Keller, in his book, interprets the word prodigal as spend until you have nothing left. That's why the book is called Prodigal God, because this father is prodigal because he is prepared to spend all that he has He's, he's willing to go to any length for the son that he loves. It's a story of reckless grace. And Jesus' listeners would have been flabbergasted by this, by this story, gobsmacked by this story. This is unmerited grace like they have never heard before. And, and it just, it didn't make, it wouldn't have made sense to anyone. It would, have, it would have been thinking, what kind of a father does that? Who, who does that? And that level of grace just wouldn't make sense. And grace is not supposed to make sense. That's what makes it grace. It, it can't be measured and it isn't fair. It's, it's lavish and it's unfathomable. It's grace. Verse 17. When the younger son finally came to his senses, he said to himself, so he, he, he's rehearsing his story. This, I'm going to go home, and this is my story. This is what I'm going to say to dad. And, and so he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20. So, when, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. Now, when the father runs out, the, the father has not yet heard the confession. The son has only prepared that in his mind, but the father hasn't heard it yet. The son has, has, has got this framed up. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. He's, he's a sinner, and he knows it. And that's better than being a sinner and convincing yourself that you're okay. It wasn't the son's repentance that caused the father to run. When the father yanks up his robe and starts running down the lane, he doesn't yet know the intentions of his son. He doesn't know what the son is going to say. And the father's sudden response of open arms, it just, the father's enthusiasm for the son makes it so much easier for the son to to confess and to open up and to, and to repent. 
You see, this morning, friends, if you will just turn the corner of your heart towards God, if you will just turn your heart, your mind, your life, take a step towards God, God will run down the lane of your story, the lane of your life to embrace you. And you won't have a record of wrongs thrown in your face. And you won't be met with an arm-folded huff of condemnation. Because in the Father's embrace, in God's embrace, there's plenty of time for full repentance and renewal and restoration. It's a beautiful story. I'm not sure what the son expected for a response from the father, but I'm sure that he did not expect a party to be thrown in his honor. And and this father in the story is about to show us how God really feels about you. And I hope that every person in this room this morning hears this and, and, and understands maybe for the very first time or maybe anew this morning how God really feels about you, his children. There's a huge truth here this morning that maybe someone would, would say, you know, that was just for me. I had to hear that this morning. Maybe someone who doesn't feel very worthy right now. Maybe someone who is stuck in their shame. Maybe an arm-folded older brother who cannot remember the last time they came close to God. And they look good on the outside, but they're a wreck on the inside. You see, like the, like the son who, who turns his heart toward home. Don't worry about your acceptability. Give God your availability. He stinks like pigs. Right? Remember where he's been. Don't worry about your acceptability. The things that you feel shamed about. Give God your availability. Don't, don't come to God when you think you are ready. Come as you are. That's like waiting to be ready to have kids. Was anybody ready to have kids? You're... No, you're not, you're not ready to have kids. I, I mean, I, Gail and I couldn't believe they let us leave the hospital. Like, really? You're going to let us take this home? Like, you trust us with one of these? It's crazy. Don't. Don't think, well, I'll come when I'm ready. Come as you are. Verse 22. The father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was, was dead. Just a, a quick point there. When you come to Jesus, it's not like you were... You, did, you had a sniffle, and God gave you some Buckleys. It's not like you were, you know, kind of not well, and God made you better. Like, you're, 
In your sin, you're dead. You are dead. And you come to Christ for life, for, for new life. For the Son of Mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The party began. The finest robe means restored standing. It's an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. That's one of the phrases we use about baptism, an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. It immediately, the robe immediately tells the, the community that all is forgiven. There is no guilt here. There is no condemnation here. There is no working your way back into the Father's good graces. There is no groveling. There is no retribution. By covering the Son with the robe, the Father is literally and figuratively covering the Son's sin and his shame. It's an image of what Jesus will do for us and has done for us on the cross. He will take our sin, he will take our shame, and he will cover us with his blood so that when the Father looks at us, he does not see our depravity, he sees our redemption in Jesus Christ. The Father hides the Son's filth and his nakedness with the robe of honor. It's a beautiful image. It's awesome. The fatted calf means block party. It's a party for everyone but the calf. <laughs> fatted calf, is, is, this is not a few stakes for the family. Fatted calf means everyone. Everyone, the whole community is going to come and celebrate with us. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ at Moncton Wesley, we want the whole community to experience that and to celebrate this one who has come home. This is more than a church to attend. This is a community to belong to. I often tell baptismal people up there in the, in the tank that, that this is your church family. These, we're here for you. I mean, we, we, we do that when we celebrate baby dedications together and things like that. We're reminded that we need each other, that we are a community. And, and the fatted calf means get everyone together. We're going to party around the son who has come home. Verse 28, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. And the older brother replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. In all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. One son disgraces his father by, by going out on his own. The other son disgraces his father by not coming in. And this is where Jesus really starts to press the story against the Pharisees, against the older brothers, against people who think they're okay. And God is inviting them to come in, even begging them to come in. And they won't come in. Against anyone who is just going through the motions, being a good person, being busy for God, obeying everything, attending everything, but missing the whole point of the gospel. And church this morning, if the Father is inviting you to come in, to come closer, don't refuse. The resistance of the older brother to obey the invitation of the father, it hurts him, 
It hurts the father. It hurts the family. It hurts the whole community. The whole community knows that the older brother is outside and he will not come in. You see, the older brother doesn't understand grace. He's been keeping score. And, 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 and when he has to, he brings out his scorecard in front of the, the father. And he says, look at my works. Look at what I've done for you. Look at my effort. Look at how good I've been. Look at all of my accomplishments. Don't they mean anything to you? You see, the father is, is focused on relationship. But the elder son is focused on performance. And the father cares more about your presence than your performance. And a lot of you needed to hear that this morning. God wants your presence more than your performance. He wants your presence at the party. And again, in this story, the father is patient. And he's not wanting either of his sons to be lost. And instead of throwing up his arms and saying, fine, be that way. He says to the older brother, I did not disown your younger brother. And I'm not going to disown you. Please. Please. He pleads with him. Put down your pride. Don't stay outside. Come in. Come in and join the celebration. The true character of the older brother is revealed when he sees grace and mercy shown to his irresponsible brother. It's scary, friends, how unmerited favor shown to someone else can bring out the worst in us. Myself included. We want, we want justice for everyone else. They need to pay. And we want grace for ourselves. Well, let me tell you why. why you know, look. We want everybody else to pay, but we want grace for ourselves. And, and this selfishness and pride just erupt out of the older brother. And now his cards are played, and it's evident that he too, just like his younger brother, he too just wants what the father can do for him. He wants possessions over relationship. And now a large part of their family wealth has been wasted in Vegas. He wanted the father's goods rather than the good of the father. God help us. God help us. And he feels like the father owes him. The father should do whatever he wants because he's earned it. And whether you run from God by being very bad or whether you run from God by being very good, you are still lost. And neither son loved the father just for who the father was. God, see, God wants your adoration, not your evaluation. Evaluation is what your kids are doing to you right now. They're looking at the stuff in your house and figuring out what they want when you're gone. God wants your adoration, not your evaluation. Just love him for who he is, not for what he can do for you. Don't stack up your good works like reward points that you're going to cash in someday when you need a prayer answered or you need a crisis averted. God is not your genie. He's your savior. 
the elder brother teaches us that sin is not just breaking rules. Sin is not just breaking rules. Sin is putting yourself in a, in a position where you don't need the relationship of the Father. Sin is keeping your distance from God, even when he invites you in. And my heart's cry for Moncton Wesleyan Church is that all of us would accept the invitation of the Father. And not just think, well, that's for younger brothers. That's for, you know, those people. No. The invitation from the Father to come in to a relationship with him is for all of us. My prayer is that we would experience, all of us, that we would experience new levels of relationship with Jesus Christ, that we would enter the party, that we would enjoy the feast, that we would revel in the Father's lavish grace, knowing how deeply each one of us are loved, that we would not just be serving, that we would not just be attending, even on summer Sundays, that we would not just be giving, that we would not just be singing the songs, but that each, every one of us would be pressing in to the Father, laying down our pride and our selfishness. There's a, there's a breakthrough on this that I feel that we, as a church we desperately need. I, I feel like, like it's a veil, like it's something that needs to be ripped open where, where everyone presses in closer to the Father. And God just keeps telling me, as pastor of this church, that we're not going to break out until we break in. We're not going to break out in this city until the people here break in. And break through. As long as we hold out. As long as we hold out, we're missing the party. If he's inviting you in, come in. Don't hold back. If you've been attending here for years, you know this morning that you don't have much of a relationship with the Father. And you really... You've been in this and doing some of these things just for what you can get from the Father. What a beautiful sight it would be today if, if dozens of people like that would, would come in. The way we're going to symbolize this this morning, like it or not, I know some people always say, well, I, I can do this in my chair. I don't have to go forward. Well, today, yes, you do. You have to go forward. Because like baptism, coming forward is also an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. And it's humbling. It's, it's, it's leaving your pride behind and, and in, in humility obeying to the invitation of the Father and and in your mind, you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, I've been here forever, and everybody thinks that I've got it all together spiritually. Exactly. That is the whole point of Luke chapter 15. Exactly. That, that, that is the whole point of it. What does it profit a man if 
we gain the whole world but lose our soul. So what a beautiful sight it would be today if there was breakthrough at the Moncton Wesleyan Church. If you sit here week after week thinking the invitation is always for someone else, it's for you. It's for you. If you've been hoping that all those younger brothers would get their act straightened out, but inside, you know what? You're, you're, there's sin in your heart and your life, and you're, you'd have to admit, I'm, I'm not any better. Then come in. By putting a flawed older brother in the story, Jesus is inviting us to yearn for a, a true one, a better one, and it's him. It's Jesus Christ, and he's here, and he's inviting us to come in this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you this morning. I know that you're here. I know that your presence is here. And God, you know that we've been praying and praying and praying for your Holy Spirit to flood in to this room and lead us, all of us, to deeper levels, new levels of relationship with you. And so, God, I pray in this moment that you would unlock what needs to be unlocked, that you would open what needs to be opened, that you would unfold the arms that have been standing from a distance, that each person in this room would not only hear your invitation to come closer to a beautiful relationship with you but that we would all say yes that we would say yes pray in Jesus name amen let's stand together I think I've said all that I can say or need to say let's let the Holy Spirit do his work if you want to pray about this come to the front Meet with Jesus Christ. He's here.